We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tuesday evening edition of the Roadwire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, August 3rd. Nick Whalen joined by Alex Barutha to break down everything that has happened over the last almost 24 hours now uh, in NBA free agency. Alex, you and I were, were on last night, you know, frantically writing everything up as the floodgates broke around 5 p.m. Central Time for us. And, you know, the news really did not stop flowing in until like 11.30 p.m. last night. There were a few signings that trickled in overnight, a few early this morning. Um, and some other pretty major moves on Tuesday. But I want to hit pretty much all the major moves. We'll get into you know some of the bit players, some of the role guys uh, who are on the move and who can make a difference either in fantasy or in real life next season. Um, but we got to start at the top. Didi Luzada re-signs with the New Orleans Pelicans on a four-year deal. We have no idea uh, what any of the details are. Uh, it could be all four years are non-guaranteed. It could be four years, $200 million. Who is Didi Luzada? I know he's Brazilian, and I know he played fewer games than he got years in his contract um, last season. So I think this is ultimately the move uh, that will keep Zion there indefinitely. I think it is. I think it is. Um, but let, let's, let's actually start with the Pelicans and who they gave up. Uh, and this okay. is one of the first transactions that, that came through on Monday night, uh, one that had been rumored in the days leading up to free agency, uh, but we weren't exactly sure you know, if it would go down. Lonzo Ball. Signed and traded to the Chicago Bulls, uh, who've made some other significant moves uh, since acquiring Lonzo Ball, and we'll get to that. But the Bulls get Lonzo, the Pelicans get Thomas Sadoransky, they get Garrett Temple, and a future second-round pick. Pretty over or pretty underwhelming, I should say, Hall, if you're the Pelicans. Uh, but that said, it's a sign and trade. You, you really can't expect to, to feel great uh, about how that goes down. But um, the far more interesting topic to me is Lonzo Ball's fit with the Chicago Bulls. I like it. I mean, they they have, I mean, well, I, I feel like you have to put it in the context of they also have DeMar DeRozan now, right? So they have. I was trying to keep have, that a secret, but people may have heard. <laughs> people, 
uh, the rumors out. Um, you know, they have Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic, who are all basically 20-point-per-game guys. And so having – I think I, I like having Ball there because he is facilitator first. Um, he'll push the tempo, which is great for this team. And uh, he's the only person on this def- uh, on this team, aside from Patrick Williams and Alex Caruso, that's going to play any defense. So, I, I mean, I'd like the ball pickup before they even got to Rosen. Um, I think it, I, I like it just as much now. Yeah, I, I feel like Lonzo could fit around just about anybody. And that's kind of something that's become a skill for him, especially as he's become a better shooter. So there's a lot more to unpack, I think, with how DeRozan fits with the Chicago Bulls. Whereas like with Lonzo, and I think we even put this in our, our offseason moves tracker, uh, which is fully updated on rotowire.com, would recommend checking that out, that it doesn't really change anything as far as, you know, when we project Lonzo Ball for next season. Um, you know, he still has a, a pretty nice pick and roll partner in Vucevic. You know, he has a high scoring wing in Zach Levine, who in some ways is similar to Brandon Ingram. Uh, obviously, the DeRozan trade maybe takes a few more shots away from Lonzo, but the, the kind of guard that he's developed into, you know, you don't really have to worry about his fit anymore, which which is a huge plus, I think, for him and the Bulls. It really is because he's basically turned into a near 40% three-point shooter on high volume. Um, I think he was up to almost nine threes a game last year or something like that, maybe seven. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's kind of a plug-and-play point guard. Like, he'd fit anywhere. Like, the only place he really doesn't make sense is, I think, like a a team, well, a team that needs scoring, right? It wouldn't make any sense for him. Um, and this is no longer a team that needs scoring at all. This team is absolutely built to score. Um, so I think he'll be good there. And, um, you know, I I think it'll be interesting for him as well to have a, a center that's a pick and pop option as well. I think that, you know, when we're talking about the DeRozan signing, at least like DeRozan makes the most sense on a team where they have a stretch five because DeRozan's not a three-point shooter. So this to me is one of the few teams that I actually think DeRozan can be like, this This is one of the places he can be that I think the most effective. If the other option was DeRozan going to the Clippers, and it, it seemed like the Bulls and the Clippers were the final two teams vying for his services once it became clear that that the Spurs were probably out of this. I, I much prefer as a, as a fan that he's with the Bulls. I, I think the Clippers, you know, obviously he's an LA guy. I, pro- I think he probably wanted to land with the Lakers. And, and of course they went in another direction, but you know, kind of being the the bridge player while Kawhi Leonard recovers from a torn ACL, playing alongside Paul George, I, I just that's just not as compelling. Like all, all of a sudden the Bulls are, I don't know if they're actually going to be good next season, but I mean realistically they could be as good as what like the fourth best team in yeah. the Eastern Conference after being super underwhelming and missing the playoffs last year. Like it, it does feel like this is now the second or third time that we've gone through this exercise where the Bulls bring in a guy or two and it, it looks like they're finally starting to load up. And, and it's kind of gone sideways every other time. But, I mean, you're looking at a potential starting five now of Vucevic, Markkanen, DeRozan, Levine, Lonzo Ball. The bench is not great, but you do have Patrick Williams, last year's top five pick. You have Kobe White, um, who, you know, we'll, we'll maybe talk about him, like what, what the future holds for Kobe White. But you also had Alex Caruso on Monday night. So, like, the top eight, I feel pretty good about. They, they definitely need to add some depth in the front court. You know, they lost Thaddeus Young as part of the DeRozan sign-in trade, that's actually a pretty huge loss, I think, for Chicago, uh, especially when you consider that beyond Vucevic and Markkanen, um, you know, you're down to Williams, Troy Brown, and Cristiano Felicio. That's really the only other forwards on the team. Uh, so they, they're going to need to fill that out probably with some minimum or near-minimum guys. But if they can get uh, just one or two serviceable, you know, I'm thinking like Jeff Green types, um, who can just soak up 15 minutes per game at forward, 
you know, if they stay relatively healthy, I, I think this team has a chance to be pretty good. I think so too. I mean, I think they can be, you know, they can kind of put together the same type of regular season the Hawks put together last year. Um, you know, where you add a bunch of talent and, you know, I, again, I think all these guys fit and they do need a little more depth, but I also, I mean, if they end up keeping Markin in, um, and who, you know, who kind of knows what happens there, but they have the potential too to run a lot of small ball lineups. Like you can play DeRozan at the four, you know, like you can put ball, you know, Kobe white on the court together with Levine DeRozan and then marking in at the five or something like that. Like they have, they have potential to do that if they can't, you know, exactly shore up their depth any more than they already have. And Patrick Williams has shown some potential too. So maybe he keeps, he keeps playing like 30 minutes a game. I think they will be good. I think they will be good. I, I, I don't know quite what the ceiling is, you know, like I, I think on paper, the, the Levine DeRozan, Vucevic, Lonzo foursome, like there's not that many teams in the East that can throw out a top four that that compares to that. But at the same time, like, is any of those guys even a, a top 15 player in the league? It's like you, you've kind of stockpiled a bunch of like 20 through 40th best players in the NBA, which, which is fine. And, and typically that that gets you a lot of regular season wins. Um, but that construction, you know, when you don't have one of those ultra elite guys or even two of those ultra elite guys tends to sputter out in the playoffs. But I mean, at this point, it, it's fair to say like this is a you know, not I was going to say make the playoffs or bust year. Like this is like get at least the five seed or bust type of year <laughs> now, right? Yeah, I think so. Or maybe get like the six and be in a playoff series where you can, you know, theoretically beat the the four seed. Because in the East, like the four through eight might, you know, their records might right. be pretty comparable. Well, but like, I but agree if, with you. If like, this team, if this team finishes with the same record as the Knicks, I think that's a disappointment. Oh yeah, this team should be way better than the Knicks. Should I be. Agree. Should be. Yeah, should we'll be. see. Um. Well, let's just run through some of the other big transactions and then we'll hit some of the minor ones. Kyle Lowry to the Miami Heat. This one, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't I don't think this has become official quite yet. And granted, nothing can become official until Friday at noon. But, it you know, usually, what, 99% of the time, whatever deal is, is tweeted out by Woj or Shams or, or Chris Haynes uh, ends up being the deal that ultimately, you know, is finalized when the moratorium is up. I, we think it's Kyle Lowry to the Heat for Goran Dragic, Precious Achua and a future second rounder that has not been officially confirmed. Multiple people have tweeted that that's what the deal is believed to be. Um, but it's been almost 24 hours now. Um, we, we don't have official confirmation with that said, I, I think it's pretty safe to uh, at least talk about what Kyle Lowry brings to the Miami heat. You know, maybe those, those other pieces that go to Toronto could change. Um, but money wise, it, it pretty much has to be tragic and, and Achua would make sense as kind of the young player sweetener. Where do you stand on this? I mean, Kyle Lowry is 35. You're giving him three years, 30 million per 90 million. It's fully guaranteed. I, I I don't know how many other teams were willing to make this exact offer. Um, it it, it kind of, you know, everything materialized with Miami pretty quickly. I don't know how close teams like New Orleans and Philly and, and a few others who were supposedly in this race, you know, how close they were to actually landing Lowry. But I, I mean, for, for as good and as durable as he's been into his mid thirties, like I, I just don't know that I would want to be the team that's paying him $30 million at age 38. I mean, $90 million, that's, I mean, that's Duncan Robinson money. Um, that is Duncan Robinson money, man. So you have $180 million committed to Duncan Robinson and Kyle Lowry. That's a lot. Um, I, I think, I agree with you that, like, it's, it's, I don't think it's an ideal move. But if you are Pat Riley, if you're the Heat, like, you have Jimmy Butler as your main guy. You're kind of on a timeline with him because of his age and the miles that he has on his body. Like you kind of you almost have to just completely go for it 
and I think commit as much as you can to a win now move. And Lowry is probably the best player from this class that you could have realistically gotten. So I feel like they were almost like forced to do this in a way like you didn't have to do it. But I think you have, there's a lot of pressure just to get more talent in here and to get a talent like Kyle Lowry in there, um, especially after like the complete like failure that was last season for Miami. Kyle Lowry, I think, has Chris Paul to thank for this contract because <laughs> I, seriously, I mean, I think Chris Paul has laid the foundation now for the aging point guard who would typically struggle to find a deal like this, or at least struggle to find a full three-year commitment um, to to get 30 million a year. I mean, Chris Paul, uh, we'll, we'll get to him in a second, but he signed for four years, 120. I mean, basically the same deal, just with an extra year that brings him to his age 40 season. And like you said, I, I think Miami and Phoenix were kind of in similar positions where you know, Phoenix had to keep Chris Paul both for optics reasons and to remain competitive and, and try to kind of run it back. Like, I almost feel like Phoenix is in the same spot now that Miami was in last year. Um, and, and now, you know, Miami's kind of scrambling to get back where they were in the bubble in 2020. And and like you said, with, with Chris Paul going back to Phoenix and, and some of the other pieces, um, you know, returning to their home destinations, like Miami kind of ran out of options. And, and even though you probably don't feel great about the second year and especially that third year, if the Heat want to contend for a title this year, this was basically a move that they had to make, even if it means potentially throwing away like two years and $60 million if, if Kyle Lowry falls off a cliff. Yeah, and he hasn't really shown signs of falling off a cliff, but the concern is that like the second that you that you sign him is like, that's the year, right? Because you can like go through his stats and there hasn't really been like any drastic fall off. Like I think the main thing that's falling is like his steal rate, but that's yeah. to be expected for a 35-year-old point guard. Right. Um yeah, I mean, I think if you're the Heat, you know, you you just think like we have a chance to be the best team in the second tier in the East, and if if you have the opportunity to do that, while well, you have Jimmy Butler on your roster, then I think you just you have to go for it. And like if it doesn't work out, you know, I mean that we've learned that almost no contract is untradeable, so you can get off Butler and right. Lowry if you absolutely have to, and then kind of start the pseudo rebuild with Adebayo as like the main piece and Tyler Hero, I guess. So you're right about the no contract is untradeable statement, but that that is only true as long as the player is still producing at a high level. You know, I, I, like Chris Paul, certainly producing at a high level. Like at no point two years ago when when he was deemed like the worst contract in the league, at no point would, would anybody have said, yeah, in a, in a couple of years, he'll probably sign for four and 120 and people will feel good about it. You know, and, and I think Lowry's in that same boat now. You know, maybe maybe in three years from now, he'll sign another two year, you know, 50 million deal and, and we'll be laughing about it. But I, I think as long as you don't become Kevin Love, where you know, there's a reason that he hasn't been right. traded yet, because nobody wants that money because he's not he's never healthy. And, and even when he's out there, he's not that good. Like the other guys in that category, who I think, you know, Russ, John Wall, Russell, um, Chris Paul, you know, Westbrook and Paul have played pretty well, or at least, you know, about as well as you could expect. Um, and those guys have maintained their value. Westbrook's been traded twice, you know, since leaving uh, OKC or since uh, since leaving Houston, I guess. Um, and. You know, I, I mean, John Wall obviously is in a slightly different category. He's a little bit younger, more of an injury risk, but um, teams are going to be willing to take those guys on as long as they can stay relatively healthy and as long as they produce. At, at some point, I feel like Lowry is going to hit that wall. I don't know when it is. I, I guess my, my final question to you about the Heat, is it worth it? You know, you said they could be the best team in the second tier in the East, and I think that's true. Is it worth it to spend all this money to be maybe the third or fourth best team in your own conference? Um. 
I, that's tough from like a tax question, you know, because that's like an ownership thing where it's like, are they willing to to spend out of their own pockets? I think it, again, I think if I was them, I, I'm pretty sure I would have done this. So I think the my answer is is yes. I think because you never know, you know, like uh, who's going to get hurt. Like, you know, if if Kyrie and Harden didn't get hurt for the Nets, you know, would the Bucks be, you know, would they have won the title if Anthony Davis didn't get hurt for the Lakers? How would the Suns have made the finals? So when you are able to put yourself into that grouping in your conference, like you always have a legitimate shot for a championship. Mm-hmm. Like you are kind of hoping for an injury, but there's always an off chance you you win it, you know, right. kind of fair and square, so to speak. I, I think ideally, if you're spending that much money and you're going to get, you know, I, I don't feel great about saying this, but you're going to get a future Hall of Famer in free agency at age 35. Like if, if you're if you're committing to all this, you you want to feel like you have the best team at least in your conference. And I think if that if nothing else, maybe it just speaks to how stacked the Nets are, you know, how, the Bucks are in very good shape going forward. Philly, uh, no matter what they do, is in good shape. They, they could be in better shape, depending on what happens with Ben Simmons. Um, and then obviously in the West, you know, you have Golden State, you have the Lakers, you have the Clippers. If Kawhi's back, um, is it, you know, you, you can spend a lot of money. You can put together this crazy expensive roster that that has impressive pieces. And and in the modern NBA, that that doesn't guarantee you even a trip to the conference finals, which is kind of crazy. I do want to talk about uh, we'll kind of lump some of these extensions together. So, you know, you mentioned Jimmy Butler uh, extending with the Heat four years, 184 million. Steph Curry, four years, 215 million with the Warriors. Uh, he becomes the second or the first player, I should say, ever to sign two contracts, uh, both valued north of 200 million. Uh, Tim Hardaway re-signed in Dallas. Mike Conley re-signed in Utah. Jared Allen re-signed in Cleveland. You mentioned Duncan Robinson re-signing in Miami. There were a ton of these coming through, all within the span of like 45 minutes last night, um, capped off by Rashawn Holmes staying in Sacramento. Four years, 55 mil. Uh, we also had SGA staying with the Thunder, Trey Young re-signing on uh, a rookie Supermax in Atlanta. Uh, but I want to back up real quick back to Rashawn Holmes. I think this is a massive bargain for the Kings. Like every, everything coming out of Sacramento and you know news around Holmes was that you know they were not close on an extension. He wanted a lot more money. They weren't willing to pay it. I feel like given the circumstances, especially after they go trade for Tristan Thompson, they go sign Alex Len, basically giving themselves insurance if Holmes doesn't come back. I thought for sure, you know, we were just waiting on like a four-year, $80 million offer from a team like the Knicks or I don't even know who else. I was shocked to see four for 55. I feel like that's a, a, a very rare free agency victory for the Sacramento Kings. I like it. He's That's an extremely chargeable contract if you need to. It's a good deal to where you are setting yourself up to still build a, a team around him. Um, you know, like he's he is a traditional center, so there's kind of a ceiling on I think what he can do. But at the same time, like we saw how impactful DeAndre Ayton could be in the NBA Finals. Obviously, Holmes isn't at that level, but he is. Um, he he's like a pure hustle. He's got great hands. He finishes around the basket. Like he's a very very good extremely underrated player um and i agree i think this is one of the better just in terms of you know dollar value or value that you're getting for your money i think this is one of the better contracts that was signed yeah unfortunately i, I think the kings are still way behind in the right. western conference <laughs> right you know, it's like this is this is a great deal you know you feel good about jaron fox going forward they still have buddy healed for now um you know you, you may have hit it big with tyrese Halliburton in the draft last year I, I still just don't really feel good about them even competing for for a play-in spot. I mean, they're and again, it's not like they're a disaster by any means. Like there there are a couple teams in the East, I think that are in much worse shape than Sacramento. But I mean, other than maybe the Spurs, like 
it, you're, you're pretty hard pressed to to find another team in the West that you know doesn't have just more combined talent than the Kings. Yeah, I mean, I would have I would have loved to see Holmes like in Dallas or in Charlotte. Right. Um, he could have did a lot of work in. Yeah, he could have did a lot of work in Toronto potentially, although they have Boucher. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily I agree with you. Like this move is not saving the Sacramento Kings. Um, no. It's helping their floor. But at this point, they're, you know, it's helping their floor from being like the 13th seed to maybe the 11th seed. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions and even more so making the right decision. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six U.S. states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding nationwide. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. All you have to do is download the WinBet app right now. That's WinBet. W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. Let's go back to the Pelicans. Uh, obviously, you know, we mentioned Lonzo Ball, now a Chicago Bull. Uh, later on, on, on Monday night, they, they signed and traded for Devontae Graham, who basically went to the Pelicans for a, a future first-round pick. The Pelicans then give him four years, $47 million. You and I were talking on Slack last night just about how this Pelicans team is shaping up. Is it any better? Like they've retooled everything around Zion and Brandon Ingram. You know, presumably you're going to have some combination of Akil Alexander-Walker, Kyra Lewis, Devonte Graham, Thomas Sadoransky. Those are your top four guards. Two of those four are starting. It's probably NAW and, and, and Devonte Graham. You have Ingram at the three, you have Zion at the four, and then you swap out Steven Adams for Valanciunas at the five. I just I, I feel like they they made a lot of moves. They they did their best, I guess, to to retool around Zion. I don't feel like this team is any better from a wins and losses perspective. Yeah, they kind of like <laughs> they shuffled the deck and ended up with like just as bad of a hand, kind of. Like if that makes sense. I like you're right. They made a ton of moves. Like they literally changed all probably all of their starters around Ingram and Zion. And I agree with you that they it feels very neutral. And there's a chance that they're worse. Um, like I think Valanciunas, Valanciunas is better than Steven Adams in my opinion, and he can space the floor, but he's not an actual floor spacer. Like this isn't a real upgrade, uh, for them at center. Devonte Graham is not a defender. Um, so like they lost that by losing Lonzo. They got Sagaransky, who's like, yeah, he can play 30 minutes a game. Like he's a three position player, but like your depth beyond that is like really awful. Like, there's small forward depth right now. It's like Trey Murphy, Najee Marshall. They lost James Johnson. They're going to like presumably play Westside Wundu for real minutes. And like, how good is Kira Lewis even like it's, this is, um, it's not looking good. So, I mean, this was a team that I think was constructed to uh, allegedly be a good defensive team. 
last season, right? I mean, I, I think you know Stephen Adams is, I, I think probably like a worse real life defender than than like his playing style and like his body would imply. Uh, but I mean, Lonzo has developed into a very good defender. I think in theory, Eric Blunt defender. Um, I, I you know I think you're you're willingly downgrading on defense by losing Adams and Lonzo and and swapping in you know these two young guards who you know again in theory could be good defenders but probably won't be right away. Valanciunas, you kind of know what you're getting there. Like this was the 18th best defense last season when they were trying to be good at defense. Um, actually, no, I misspoke. The 22nd best defense in the league last season when they were trying to be good at defense. So, like now they they seem to have kind of pivoted the other way, and it's like. Are, are we going all offense around Zion, who is you know not a very good positional defender at all right now? Same for Brandon Ingram. Um, I mean, Devontae Graham is a massive liability in that regard. I, I I don't like the Devontae Graham extension at all. I don't think he's that good. I, I think he put up big numbers for a really bad team two years ago. Um, the, the assist rate was great. Uh, he, he shot the three well two years ago. I, I think he regressed to closer to the player that he actually is last season. And I mean, if, I, if I'm a Pelicans fan, I would not be shocked or not shocked. I would not be happy. Um, I would be shocked that my team has replaced Lonzo Ball with Devontae Graham. I think that's a huge downgrade. Yeah. I mean, he's like, he's 6'2". He is re- like, his his primary skill is his passing. Like he has a high assist to turnover rate and he, he's a good passer, but he's almost exclusively a three-point shooter. And you mentioned he does not play defense. So like, it's great. Like, he'll be a great, like, pick-and-roll partner with Zion. But again, at the same time, like, don't they want Zion to handle the ball a lot? Isn't Ingram going to handle the ball a lot? Like, Graham's going to end up just, like, being a spot-up shooter a lot, which is, again, like, not exactly what you want him out there for. You kind of want him to facilitate a lot of the time. So, I feel, yeah. I mean, it seems like the relationship between Lonzo and, and the Pelicans are kind of, like, broken to some extent, and he wanted to go somewhere else. And if you're New Orleans... You're I mean, maybe they felt trapped to do something like this and get at least a semi starting caliber point guard in there. But if you're talking about like moves to like did any move that they make in free agency or the trade for Valanciunas, like did any of that? If you're Zion Williamson, did any of those moves make you feel better than the season before? And I think that's a no, like maybe changing the coach. But that's it. I think changing the coach helps. I think it was clear that I think it was clear like a quarter of the way through last season that that was not going to go well. And and certainly it didn't. But no, I think you're right. If you're Zion, I don't know. I mean, unless he has like some sort of personal connection with these guys or he he loves Nikhil Alexander Walker or loves Kyra Lewis and wants them to have a bigger role, which it seems pretty unlikely to me. I, I don't see how he like if you're the Pelicans, you went into this offseason with one goal. Right. And that was make Zion happy. Make him not want to be the first rookie to turn down you know, the no brainer rookie extension and try to get to free agency. I don't think you succeeded at that whatsoever. And, and, you know, every year we're wrong about two or three teams, you know, that are, they're either better or worse than we think. And it's just like, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you don't want to go by the on paper argument too much, but if you just stack up all these rosters in the Western conference, like this is a bottom five roster easily, even, even with two pretty nice pieces in Ingram and Zion. Like I just, I don't see how you could reasonably, you know, look at this roster if you're the Pelicans and say, we think we can compete for a playoff spot. I, I just don't see it. I agree. Like, if you take OKC and Houston out of the picture because they're trying to be awful, um, like, New Orleans is in the Spurs-Kings-Wolves tier right now. And they, like, they should be better than those three teams just because they have Zion. But it's not a lock. 
that they're better than, especially Sacramento and Minnesota. It's not a lock. Mm-hmm. And, and look, honestly, they're not even concerned. that far from Houston. I don't think they are. I no, mean, yeah. I think Christian I mean, Christian Wood for me is on like the same level as Ingram, and he's a little bit older, so that's you know a slight downgrade. But I don't know. Like Jalen Green is a blue chip asset. Yeah. You know, you have you have some nice role players. You still have John Wall, who looked okay when healthy. Like those rosters are are comparable, especially when you start to dig into the depth that that you talked about at the top with New Orleans. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because yeah, like you mentioned, like if John Wall stays healthy and has a better year. Kevin Porter showed flashes. You mentioned Jalen Green. They got Tice for some backup. They drafted Sangoon. Wood is like a borderline all-star. Um, you know, obviously their depth's an issue, but yeah, like he, New Orleans depth's an issue. So um, this is very concerning for New Orleans. Like I hate hitting the panic button on these like, you know, super young players about like, are they get are they going to demand a trade? Like I hate hitting that button way too soon, but I think it is. It is pretty justified for Zion at this point. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. What do you think about Jared Allen? Five years in Cleveland, $100 million, uh, 20 mil per year, obviously. I think there was some consternation as to whether they would keep him around, what the fit is after taking Evan Mobley at three. I, I, I think based on what I saw on Twitter, everybody seems just like, okay, with this. You know, I don't think anybody loves it. I don't think anybody hates it. And I, I think that's pretty fair, you know, especially when you remember that Jared Allen is 23 years old. You know, there, there's not a very good chance that this ends up being a bad deal. I think there's a chance that maybe he doesn't live up to $20 million per year, but I, it's hard for me to imagine a scenario like two or three years from now where the Cavs are like frantically trying to get off of the Jared Allen deal. 
I agree. It seems like a deal that, you know, when you're the Cavaliers and you're kind of in this like you at this point, your rebuild is accelerating because you have you have pretty much you've drafted. Uh, you've drafted a starting five. Right. Essentially, you have Garland, Sexton, Okoro, Mobley, potentially at the four. I'm not exact. Some people like Mobley's fit. You know, next to I think Allen. he has to play the four right away, especially after the Allen. Okay. You're, you're not you're not bringing Mobley off the bench, and you're not bringing Allen off the bench. I, I think long term Mobley's probably best off at the five, but you know we'll, we'll see how that goes. And you, so you have Mobley at the four, and then Allen at the five. You did not draft what you traded for, so like you are you're set. Like this is your team. So you kind of you, you didn't have to give Allen the extension, but he's a very good player, one of the most promising centers in the NBA. Who. At least for traditional centers, right? Who every I think everyone kind of collectively feels like he hasn't gotten his real chance to shine yet, you know, because he wasn't seeing huge minutes in Brooklyn. And he finally saw 30 minutes a game, like consistently, you know, when he when he got to Cleveland and was putting up like the thing is, it's it's just tough to see the 20 million number because much as everybody likes Jared Allen, you look at his stats and he's like 13 and 10 with a block and a half. You're like, is that? Is that really 20 million? And I know he impacts the game with his defense aside from pure blocks. His field goal percentage is good. And I know all that, but it's, it's just tough. It just, it feels like an overpay to me, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It feels, I can't really, I can't really like criticize it. Yeah. It, it feels like an overpay. I, what I would love is if at like after a signing is announced, if every other team was required to reveal what their offers were, you know, like you could, and then <laughs> right. you would see like, it basically be like fab bidding in fantasy where you'd be like, wow, I was a hundred fab dollars over what I should have been for this guy. You know, like how many other, like, was there an offer for similar money that, that, you know, the caps had to get to this number or is this where the negotiation started? Hard to imagine. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it too, is just, you have to keep in mind, like the inflation of the NBA, right. Where like Jared Allen doesn't seem like a hundred million dollar player, but when Evan Fournier is making $78 million, right. and Norman Powell is making $90 million. Uh, then it makes a little bit more sense. I will say this, though, and, and you know, granted, Jared Allen is for a fifth year, but I would rather have Rashawn Holmes for four and fifty five than Jared Allen for five and hundred. I think I would as well. Um, yes, I, I think it's I think it's I, I agree with you. <laughs> That's my yeah, I, I think they're, comparable, they're comparable assets, but I, I, I mean, the cost is just that much better with, with Rashawn Holmes. Um, speaking of Fournier. Four years, 78 from the New York Knicks. The Knicks basically blew all their cap space on their own guys and then <laughs> added Fournier as well. So they're pretty much running it back next year. You know, they bring back Derrick Rose. Uh, they bring back Alec Burks. They bring back Nerlens Noel. They brought back Todd Gibson today. Uh, Julius Randle still around, of course. Uh, Mitchell Robinson still on his rookie deal. It's going to be almost the exact same team plus Evan Fournier. I, I, I feel like this is just a classic case of of a team. And, and of course it's the Knicks, but it's a team having all this cap space just during the wrong summer. You know, I, I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't feel any better if they were the team that landed DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. You know, I feel like that would feel like kind of a lateral move too. Like they're just, they're just really unlucky that there's not two or three Kawhi Leonard level free agents that are out there. I know you mentioned the inflation of the, of the league. And that's a really good point to bring up when we talk about contracts, but like they have committed $200 million to Derrick Rose, Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks, and Evan Fournier, Oof. which Oof. is a, and it's, it's crazy too. Cause like they, they made such a big deal out of like getting worldwide West in there. And it's like, Oh, he's got all these connections, like former CAA guy, like, and you end up with like 
Evan Fournier is your like main free agent signing and like spending 150 million on three guys who are not really starters. Like Rose, <laughs> Rose is not a starter. Noel is not a starter, and Burks is not a starter. So you're giving that crew almost 150 million dollars. And the Noel like, again, deal is crazy. I know, crazy. And you, you and I love Nerlens Noel. I, I feel like over the years we've yeah. we've always like overranked him in fantasy. I love him. It, it, I, the reason I love him because he's always making like two million dollars and giving you <laughs> like way better production than that. I, I don't like him at this number. Well, yeah. I mean, I think I think if you were a team that like. Yeah, I mean, when the Suns when the Suns managed to get JaVale McGee for like basically minimum, right? Um, or like five million dollars. I think, or he, I think like it's that. one for five. Yeah. Yeah, like one for five for JaVale compared to three for thirty for Nerlens. Like I might just rather do the JaVale deal. Um, but this is just this is just a yeah a product of the Knicks got surprisingly good and they had a ton of money and I don't think they want to go back to being bad. And so, again, they just get trapped into signing these guys. And, you know, there's a chance that they end up with basically the exact same record next year. Um, I almost and, feel like that'd be a victory. Like, it, it didn't feel like they played better than their roster last year. And they had, like, no injuries. You know, Randall played every game, right? Like, I, I don't, I think there's a chance that they're worse than last year. I don't think 48 makes me feel any different. No, I mean, well, a lot of how they'll do will actually kind of ride on um like can is Emmanuel quickly and rj barrett going to take any real steps forward yeah you know is obi Toppin going to turn into a legitimate rotation player is mr robinson going to take a step that we all hope he can take um those are a lot of ifs and i would not have like insane confidence that all those things are going to happen like i think you're you're hoping that two of those four things happen but you don't know which one <laughs> which two it'll end up being so I want to back up to the SGA extension. Yeah, you know, I think the, the Trey Young, Curry, Butler, uh, th- those were all expected. You know, nobody's even Mike Conley. You know, nobody's gonna really fight you one of those. But I, I think the SGA one is interesting because y- you have two competing agendas. Where like the Thunder are pretty openly trying to lose games, but they have one very good player in SGA who I, I think to to the Thunder's benefit got hurt last year, and then they had an excuse to just not play him for the second half of the year. He's not going to want to do that for too much longer. Um, and, and, you know, there's also an argument to be made that the Thunder are in such a long rebuild that, like, is SGA already, like, too old for their rebuild or at least too costly for their rebuild? Um, but I, I think both sides kind of put those concerns to rest with a five-year, $172 million max extension. Uh, I, I believe if, FG, if SGA makes an all-NBA team this coming year, it, it can jump up to, like, a little over $200 million. It's basically the same... Uh, extension that Trey Young signed with Atlanta, and he has the same stipulations. I, I, I'm not surprised this happened. It, you know, it's hard to turn down 172 million dollars guaranteed. Um, you know, if you're SGA, but I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think there was there was plenty of speculation that you know the Thunder could could look to flip him for even more assets. He could look to go somewhere where they're closer to contention. Um, but at the end of the day, now they have they still have all these picks. They still have plenty of cap space. You know, they're really not paying anybody else long term you know, real money. Um, but they, they now have SGA very much solidified as a franchise keystone. So d- does this make you feel any differently about the Thunder's direction, either going forward or, or just looking at 21, 22? Uh, not really. I mean, they'll at least be interesting, you know, with Kemba Walker if, if, when he's there. Um, I think they'll be, you know, I mean, they're, they're going to be playing a lot of Pokashevsky and stuff like that. Like they're going to continue trying to lose, you know, I mean, 
maybe there's a chance they try to package the assets together and and do something this year or next year. But I think I think if I, I think if you're both sides here, you know, SGA and the Thunder, this deal is kind of a no-brainer to me. Um, I might be as much of an SGA optimist as as anyone out there. Like I think he is extremely good. I think that he is going to be an All NBA player probably sooner than later. And he may not he may not get the credit he deserves because he's on such a bad team right now. But the fact that he was able to score like 24 points a game with six assists and be a 50, 40, 80 shooter on such a bad team. Like who did the defenses have to worry about other than SGA? And he still was putting up 20. Yeah, exactly. He was still putting up 24 a game uh, on one of the most efficient, like he was one of the most efficient guards in the NBA last season. And he's a really good defender. So he's like kind of a supercharged true holiday. He's 23. Like, I think this is a, this is a no-brainer. Whether you trade him or not, like, you have to get this guy mm-hmm. under contract. Yeah, and that's a good point. You could eventually trade him. And, it, you know, he was going to sign this max deal at some point. So, you know, I, it's not like he's untradeable, you know, as, like, what, a 22 or 23-year-old making this kind of money. I, I think if you if you have to turn around and flip him in two years, that's not really a problem for either side, you know, if, if things deteriorate and, and it goes that way. Um, but, no, that's a good point. I, I think he had one of the more underrated – like fantasy or just statistical seasons in recent memory. I, I don't think that's a stretch to say that because there's been plenty of guys who've had great stat years on a terrible team, but more often than not, they're contributing to the team being terrible. Like SGA, like the team was literally searching for reasons to bench him because he was so good that he was winning them games. He was the 32nd best player in fantasy last year. And I think, I think he had a better regular season. Just, you know, I know he only played 35 games, but his regular season numbers were better than Donovan Mitchell's. And he was on like a worse yeah. team where he was like the, you know, the like everyone's going to be focused on him. So, um, again, I can't I can't say enough good things about about SGA. I think he's basically a star in the making. Um, I'm just really excited to continue watching him, honestly. I was thinking about this last night after that signing broke. Does, does the average NBA fan like have there ever even sat down and watched a full game of SGA <laughs> playing? Like, seriously, I, I feel like he's he's you know, he's had some injuries. Like, obviously, they held him out for so many games. Um, you know, with the Clippers that, that, that team did make the playoffs his rookie year, got bounced in round one. Like, I don't think the Thunder were on national TV once this past year. Like, I, I, I can't even think of the last time that I've sat down and watched a, a full game in which SGA has played. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, anytime a player puts up like a a huge stat line, like I always watch the highlights and I watch a lot of condensed games, but like a, you know, like a wire to wire. No. And I think, I agree with you. Like, I think the only reason as many people are aware of him uh, as there are is because he was kind of on that like miracle Clippers team. Um, yeah. You know, that made the playoffs. Like, I think, I think he got a lot of, um, you know, exposure from that, but since then, yeah. Like you asked the average NBA fan, like, you know, how good do you think Shea Gilgis Alexander right. is? And I don't think they're going to give you like a answer that's accurate. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I even had trouble picturing him. Like, what does his jump shot look like? You know, it's like, what is his signature play? Like I, I don't know. Like you said, I, I watch a lot of condensed games as well. You, you see a lot of highlights on social media. But what the first thing that comes to mind with him is like the League Fits Instagram account, which he is prominently <laughs> featured on every single night. Like I feel like I've seen more of him wearing expensive baggy clothes with a bunch of zippers all over him than I've seen of him in a basketball uniform. That's uh, I don't I don't follow that account, but okay, well, I, I trust you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> apparently. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. 
in DC. This one, uh, much like the Lowry deal, I, I don't think we've gotten like officially official confirmation on this. I, I think there's a chance that this ends up being a sign and trade, uh, most likely will be. But uh, it sounds like the contract is going to be in the neighborhood of three years, 60 million. That's a lot for a guy coming off a torn ACL, a guy who's not that young, uh, somebody who's, whose NBA career kind of got off to a late start, uh, you know, began in the G League and, and has worked his way up. I, I really like Spencer Dinwiddie as like the you know, $7 million a year, you know, six man can can carry you at times. If your starting point guard is out, you feel really good about him, you know, starting for you over the course of a month. He is just two years removed from averaging almost 21 points per game and almost seven assists per game for the Nets. Uh, this was just the, you know, the Kyrie Nets pre-Harden, pre-KD, of course, but he's a very poor three-point shooter. He, you know, turns the ball over a decent amount, has been kind of all over the map as far as whether or not he gets to the free throw line, I, I just feel like there's kind of a lot of uncertainty here. Uh, very inefficient as a, as a field goal shooter overall. Um, only has three seasons where he's been over 40% in six years in the, or seven years, excuse me, uh, in the NBA. Like, I mean, if I'm the Wizards, like, I, I don't think the, the Russell Westbrook, Brad Beal pairing wasn't really going anywhere. That wasn't your long-term fit, but I, I would have a hard time getting like really excited about the next three years of, of Spencer Dinwiddie. No, I don't. I don't think it's anything to get excited about. But I do actually like the contract uh, because if you're the Wizards and you have Beal, you are going to you want to be competitive, right? Whether or not it's the right thing to do, you want to be competitive because Beal's there. Um, so he is a starting caliber kind of six man tier point guard, right? But he doesn't have to be an elite point guard when you have Bradley Beal next to you. But you know, best case scenario, they can maybe sneak into the play in. You know, they'll be competitive. He helps with that. Um, and like the worst case scenario, you know, Beal demands a trade, whatever it is, like maybe you rehabbed Spencer Dinwiddie's value and you can trade him for more assets. You know, I think because there I think there always is a upside to bad teams getting players like this, which is the hope that they can rehab their value and then deal them for more assets later. Kind of like the Pistons did with Kelly Olenek as well. I think that's the exact thought there. Um, so I think the, I think this is a I'm all right with the with the Wizards making this deal, honestly, even though it's. It is an overpay, but I'm not, I don't think it's a bad move. Yeah, it's not one that's going to kill him, certainly. Um, I, I just, I've never been all that high on Dinwiddie. I think, no. like I said, I think he's better in a reduced role, kind of that spark plug type of guy, as opposed to somebody that you're depending on to be your starting point guard night in, night out. Uh, is there anything else from this major signings category? Um, I'm, I'm kind of using our, our free agency tracker as a guide Anyone else that I missed or anyone you want to hit on before we start to run through some of these smaller deals? Um, I guess the only one, I think the only like big one we didn't really touch on was Norman Powell getting $90 million, five sure. years from the Blazers. Um, I mean, if you're trying to keep Dame there, you want to have a competitive team, you have to just retain someone as good as Powell who can score like roughly 20 points a game. But um, <laughs> if Dame demands a trade and you're kind of caught you know, holding that contract, it's, it's pretty ugly. Yeah. Although at the same time, if you, if you kind of like, um, trade the entire team around him, it's not like Norman Powell is going to prevent you from tanking. Like he's not going to be the guy who's like vaulting you mm -hmm. to 36 wins accidentally. Yeah. I mean, you talk about contracts that you might need to trade at some point, like th this is tradable. I mean, what is it? I think it's like 15 mil a year if I'm doing the math right on that. Um, Maybe a little, I don't know. I, so it's some some amount of million per year, five yeah. for 90. Um, you know, it's it's not an ideal contract to have to move. It does feel like a little bit of an overpay, but 
that's what the market is. They were kind of backed into a corner. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, that, this is one of those that like the Fournier deal when like the name just doesn't really match the number, but you, you just kind of have to get used to the Norman Powell's of the world making this kind of money. Right. Yeah. And he's a guy, he's another guy too, where it's like, he's, he's always been one of those like sneaky, good fantasy players, at least the past oh, two yeah. seasons. Um, very high floor. Like, yeah. Um, surprisingly efficient, just very bizarre, like player who I think Again, most casual fans would be like, Norman Powell scored 19 a game last year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I was I was in that boat when I when I wrote about him for the article last night. I I didn't realize that he got to that level. Um, let's run through some of these minor deals. Uh, we'll we'll kind of go rapid fire. I'll just pick some out. Um, and if you have any you want to bring up, feel free. Uh, Patty Mills to the Brooklyn Nets, two years, 12 million. Uh, there was there was a brief like Patty Mills sweepstakes going on yeah. this morning where he was kind of. You know, once it became clear that DeRozan had narrowed his options down, like Patty Mills for a second was like the most sought after free agent in the NBA. Um, and he very quickly announced that he will be joining the Brooklyn Nets. I, I mean, this was like a hundred out of a hundred universally praised move by the Nets, obviously, uh, to get a player of this caliber at that at that amount of money. Um, it, it's huge. I, I think, you know, you can basically pencil Kyrie in for 15 to 20 missed games at this point. Harden, <laughs> I, I, th- I think there's a pretty good chance Harden bounces back. I mean, he's been so durable essentially until last season that I, I think there's a good chance that that's a one-year blip. But you now have a guy who can play both guard spots, who can easily fill in and give you like 32 minutes of good basketball when Kyrie Irving is out. Um, and when those guys are healthy, he becomes like this super sixth, seventh man, you know, first or second guard off the bench. I, kind of the exact player I think that the Nets needed, um, especially if Joe Harris you know goes through a slump like he did in the playoffs last year. Like they needed one other guy um and obviously they, they were dealing with major injuries at that point and, and if, if Kyrie and Harden or even one of them are, are at full strength um it's probably a completely different story but it, it always felt like they were kind of one bench scorer short and they pretty much brought in the best version of that they have kind of like an interesting they have an interesting reserve rotation going on right now you know because at any point they can throw out some like uh, kind of reserve lineup of Mills and Harris, who are just kind of like can just get absolutely scorching hot from three. And then you have Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin, who are like really well-rounded guys who can play the two forward spots. And then you have Claxton, who's pure energy or even, you know, uh, Kendrick Perkins was quite high on Dayron Sharp. Um, but like, yeah, they have just kind of like a fun bench now, um, you know, uh, despite losing Jeff Green. So, I mean, yeah, I, I love this move for them. It also is kind of signals the the continued mass exodus from uh the nets you know and them or excuse me the the spurs yeah and them transitioning to a very bizarre this is the the most bizarre this is one of the most bizarre spurs teams not not just spurs teams this is one of the most bizarre teams i've ever rosters i've ever seen you know giving 40 million dollars to mcdermott um I actually really like the Zach Collins move. I thought that was that was really strong by them, but they, their Josh Primo draft pick was, I think, universally despised. Um, I think that's fair. Yeah, very bizarre roster. Yeah, well, let's let's talk Spurs, and then we'll we'll go over to the Lakers, who made a ton of moves and are actually in in fairly good shape. Um, and we should yeah. also mention, as we as we record, Markeith Morris is signing with the Miami Heat, which is actually I think a pretty nice deal. Uh, for a Heat team that, uh, as as you and I were chatting about last night, kind of ran out of options at power forward, and it looked like yeah. PJ Tucker was going to have to play 48 minutes a night. Um, <laughs> so I, I actually I actually do like Markeith Morris there, but no, the Spurs, man, I, I think the Spurs have run out of goodwill for me. You know, they they were coasting on 
like 15 straight years of like perfect personnel moves. And it, it, it kind of started to dwindle these last couple of years. And then, then it looked like they hit on DeJounte Murray and, you know, DeMar DeRozan turned out okay in that trade. Um, and then they're still able to find, you know, Kelvin Johnson looks pretty good. Um, you know, even like Jakob yeah. Pertl, who they got in the Kawhi deal has been okay for them. So like they're, they're still, they're still hanging in there, but I mean, the, the heat check draft pick of Primo, the heat check signing of Doug McDermott for $42 million and then I, I think honestly the worst of them all, like what was the what was the second highest offer for Zach Collins, who got three years and twenty-two mil and has like barely played any basketball over the last few years, you know, refractured his foot again uh, in June. We have no idea when he's gonna play. Like was any other team lining up to give him more than like seven or eight million per year? I I just that one was completely baffling to me. Yeah, I it's it I mean, considering his, you know, injury streak, it's it is a, a lot of money to commit to the, him, but given, I mean, at this point, they are one of the deepest rebuilds in the NBA, right? So I think if you if you look at this within the context of they're an extremely deep rebuild who's, who, and they're taking a chance on a guy who a lot of people like liked, you know, he's the 10th overall pick. I think people, um, there are still people who are high on, on Zach Collins. Like if it works out, you know, maybe you've, you've built goodwill with him. You can keep him around. Um, so I'm okay with that. But yeah, I mean... I, I I don't know what they're doing at all. Like I I don't understand committing that money to like McDermott should be on a team like a title team. Like why is he headlining your rebuild as a like McDermott McDermott's 30 uh 29 right like he's not young. Um yeah McDermott's 29 years old so this isn't like you're getting 25 year old Doug McDermott um or something like that like he's legitimately like <laughs> should not be part of a rebuild. Um I mean this is just. <laughs> to me, the, that, this is just huge for DeJounte Murray. Um, this is going to be a huge year for him, like massive, because the rest of their team is awful. Yeah, I mean, there is a world in which the Spurs are a bottom three team in the NBA this year. And I think the other, a little more subtle part of this is like, I, I don't know, if, I wouldn't say Pop has lost it, but I think that like the Team USA <laughs> thing is pretty shocking and and you know they're in the final they're in the semifinals now um they have a big game against australia they're, they're still in good shape here but it does seem like he's kind of lost his fastball a little bit um and you know you can no longer count on him giving you like 10 more wins than your roster should give you and i, I mean this is probably the worst roster that he's had right i mean i, I think other than Dejounte murray who uh, look i i love Dejounte murray you love him james loves him like wrote a wire as a as a company is very high in Dejounte murray <laughs> where does he rank if you're doing the best players in the league? Like somewhere between 30 and 40, right? I mean, it's not like, it's not like we're talking about an SGA or, or like Luka Doncic or somebody who you're just like, oh, he's got nobody around him. He's just going to go crazy this year. Like what, what is like an insane statistical year for DeJounte Murray? Like 21 points per game. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love it, but it just, I, he's not a guy who can carry a team. No, I mean, he, he already played 32 minutes a game last year. Um, up like 16 seven and five with a steal and a half which is again like that's fantastic he was you know like a six like a top 60 fantasy player essentially um but yeah again i don't know where this is going like it almost feels like they're drafting guys who aren't supposed to be number one guys it's like <laughs> i don't know what they're i don't know exactly what they're doing man it's yeah they're they're drafting as if they already have a core in place or they're they're right. making these signings as if they have a core in place, and the the core even even in the time since they signed McDermott and Zach Collins, the core has dwindled even further with DeRozan going to Chicago. Um, let's talk Lakers. I, I feel very good about where my 
Los Angeles Lakers <laughs> are sitting right now. Despite having Russell Westbrook, I think that's a horrendous fit. I, I don't think I, I, I still don't think they could win the title with with Russell Westbrook. James actually put it really well. I was chatting with him this morning. He said they can't win the title as long as Russ is healthy. And that was after <laughs> me saying I, I think they're going to be pretty good if, if everybody can stay healthy. Um, so they might be better off, I guess, if, if Westbrook is, is like hobbled in the playoffs and they, they have to go with Kendrick Nunn. But I, I think given the circumstances, you know, which is basically blowing all of your money on LeBron, Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook. Um, and, and two of those three, I'm all for that. You know, two of those three won a title uh, a couple of years ago. So and, yeah, I, I'm fine with that. But the Westbrook signing aside, I think they've done about as well as they could have, especially with the Kendrick Nunn signing, which which broke just before we started recording. I think they've done about as well as they could to fill out this roster around those guys. You get an elite, cheap shooter in Wayne Ellington. You re-sign THD, which you had to do uh, based on the cap situation. Um, you bring in Kendrick Nunn, who, I, I mean, for him to take a discount like he did, I don't I don't know what the other offers were, but to get him at five mil, um, can play both guard spots, great three-point shooter, has some deficiencies, but I mean, it's just way better than the other options that the Lakers would have been looking at with that spot. Um, you bring in Carmelo Anthony. I mean, that's whatever. I, I'm not really thrilled about that. Uh, Trevor Ariza. And then the big one, Malik Monk. I, I completely forgot about Malik Monk. I forgot that the, the Hornets had basically cast him out to free agency. That They, they didn't want him back. I, I never really considered him as a fit for the Lakers. I, I'm, I'm not convinced that he's actually going to have as much of an impact as I want him to have. But to get that guy and, and just kind of have him on like a free one-year deal, see if he turns into anything, like... I, I I think the Lakers have done really well. I, I didn't think I didn't think I would feel this way after they traded for Russell Westbrook, but I, I'm pretty confident in in how this roster can come together. I agree. I mean, I think I think you know putting aside that you know like the idea of somehow getting Westbrook and healed, which I think was just a weird fake pipe dream that people were like having. Um, I think this is about the best that the Lakers could do. Like this may have literally been like their best case scenario for just grabbing a ton of guys essentially on the minimum, a ton of guys who have different skill sets, who play different wing positions. Um, you know, like only two of them need to like work out for this to be a good off season for them. Like the combination of like six guys that you rattled off, like again, only two of them need to really pop off. I don't even know if you mentioned Wayne Ellington, um, who they got. I, did, I, I think I briefly mentioned him at the okay. top, just as I, I think he's probably their starting shooting guard. Yeah. I, I think ideally that becomes maybe Kendrick Nunn's spot or maybe Taylor Horton Tucker's spot. But I think he opens as a starting shooting guard just because like he's, he's the guy that they didn't have last year. He's like what Wes Matthews was supposed to be, but Wes Matthews couldn't hit any shots. Like this is a knockdown catch and shoot, you know, when always has confidence. Like if LeBron skips it to him in the corner, there's not going to be a hesitation like it's just going to go up and, and more often than not uh, it's going to go in like I, they, they were missing guys like that last year yeah I mean he took I mean basically for the past like five years he's been taking like six seven threes a game and hitting them at upper 30s percent um but yeah I, lo- I love this offseason for them I think they have you know their depth isn't like talent wise it's not amazing like they don't have a great like top end talent six man type but they've just collected so many different guys that again just pure quantity, like two of these guys absolutely have to work out and have to make sense with this team. Um, I mean, Kendrick Nunn was averaging like 16 a game last year. Monk has potential for like 15. I like Ariza. Like, it's it's good. I like it. Yeah, it, it, there's a very good chance that this just 
kind of looks like a great team on paper and, and things just never come together and they're terrible on defense. Um, but if the, the biggest thing, and it's kind of boring to say this, but if LeBron and Davis are healthy, they're going to be really good. If LeBron misses 20 games and Davis misses 25 games again, then they're going to struggle and they're, they're going to be in the same situation as last year. Like that's literally what it comes down to. When you have two guys who at their best are, are top 10, maybe even top five guys, um, you know, if, if those guys aren't playing well or, or are injured, then, you know, your ceiling is, is considerably different. Uh, let's let's go through some more of these kind of minor signings. Uh, well, one guy we didn't mention with the Lakers, Dwight Howard, is back in L.A. Yep. After, after one year in Philly. Um, they basically just swap him out for Andre Drummond, who's now the backup to Joel Embiid. Uh, <laughs> Drummond, uh, for, for as much heat as Drummond takes, like he's still, I, I think, better than Dwight Howard. Like Dwight is maybe better for what the Lakers are going to ask him to do. Uh, Drummond, I think, is still the more like the higher upside player. I, I don't know what his role is, though, in Philly. I mean, like, you're not going to play Drummond and Embiid together. And if Embiid is healthy and is playing 35 minutes a night, like, is Drummond really going to be in the Dwight Howard role where it's 13 to 15 minutes whenever Embiid's off the court? Seems like he's going to be a legitimate backup. Um, although, I mean, he probably, you know, assumes that, like, Embiid's only going to play 60 games, which is probably a fair assumption for anybody to make at this point. So yeah. there's going to be, you know, Drummond's going to start 20 games next year. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll be a, you know, 15 to 20 minute a game back up the rest of the year. So I, I think that's, I think that's fine. Otto Porter to the Golden State Warriors, one year veterans minimum. I, I was thinking to myself when, when this one broke last night, if Otto Porter signed a veterans minimum deal with the Sacramento Kings or the Indiana Pacers, I, I don't, or like the Orlando Magic, I would have been like, eh, okay, he's probably washed up. But for some reason, the fact that it's with the Warriors, I'm like all in on Otto <laughs> Porter coming back and, and like being a major factor for this team. I am a uh, I'm an Otto Porter optimist. So to me, this is huge. Uh, I think <laughs> Otto Porter on a minimum is like an amazing steal. Like his his injuries have been like a serious concern lately. Like the last time he played more than 56 games was 2017, 18. Um, but he he is a very he he's a proven three and D player. Um, assuming the injuries haven't taken too much of a toll on him because he's only 28 still. Um, and the, you know, the Warriors desperately need depth and they, you know, they were able to draft depth, um, you know, this season, but getting out of order, you know, more veteran depth, I think for them is good. I like it. Kelly Oubre is a better player, but I, I think Otto Porter, if he's healthy, can give them pretty much everything they wanted out of Kelly Oubre and none of the extra things you don't want from Kelly Oubre, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, if he's healthy, this could be a, a big-time value. Like, I, I think it, it does make you wonder how they feel about Kaminga and Moody, you know, because you have... I mean, Porter can play both forward spots. You know, you could, you could even, like, slot him in at the two, I guess, if you had to. Um, probably more of a natural three. Um, like, one of those guys, at, le at least, is going to be the odd man out, you would think. Um, so, I mean, Golden State is... is as they were last year, still kind of trying to play two games at once where you draft two project players in Kaminga and Moody. And, and, and it should be noted, Corey Kispert was on the board. They could have taken Corey Kispert at number 14. They took Moody instead. So you have, you have two like 19 year old projects in, that, that you're developing on the fly along with the 19 year old project that you took last year in James Wiseman, while at the same time, adding players like Nemanja Bialica and Otto Porter, you, know, you still have Damian Lee, uh, you still have Jordan Poole. Like they, they, even if you take away those two rookies, and if you take away James Wiseman, like they still have a team that's going to contend, maybe not for a title, but kind of that next level down. Um, and then when when you add in like three, I don't I don't know if I would quite say blue chip, but like pretty close, like light blue chip assets in Kaminga, Moody, and Wiseman, like 
I, I think ideally one of those guys would be a little bit further along and, and be a little bit more ready to contribute, but they still put together a, a pretty nice, well-rounded competitive roster while still having three guys who can develop and, and kind of carry you into the next decade. Yeah. I'm, I'm genuinely intrigued by this roster. I think it will be a really fun team. You know, if all these guys end up panning out kind of to their, I guess, realistic potential, they'll be very good. Um, and yeah, they are they are doing what they can to kind of shoot the gap between we're competing now. We have these Hall of Famers on our team, but maybe we can, um, you know, kind of under the surface build a, you know, future, um, you know, team as well. Does Rudy Gay to Utah on a one plus one uh, about <laughs> six million a year? Does that do anything for you? Uh, it does not. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, all right. That's no. all you got to say. We'll move on. Uh, Sam Decker is back in the NBA. Don't yeah. want to talk about that. Just needs to be noted. Uh, he is a Badger. Uh, Bruce Brown back with the Nets on a one-year 4.7 mil uh, qualifying offer. I, I, that was expected. Makes sense. Uh, Semi Ojale to the Milwaukee Bucks. First of all, let's 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 back it up a little bit and talk about the Bucks uh, getting a, a big commitment from Bobby Portis, who left money on the table for a second straight summer um, to to prioritize winning, and obviously that paid off big for him this past year. But a lot of people, and I was really surprised. I was kind of off of Buck's Twitter last night. I was on normal Twitter, like news Twitter, uh, tracking all of this. And before bed, I'm, I'm kind of scrolling back and, and looking at all the P.J. Tucker takes. People were fired up. People were really upset that the Bucks did yep. not bring P.J. Tucker back. You know, at, at what would have been a, a pretty steep price. That would have cost him like 30 or 40 mil against the luxury tax. And like, I, I get that there's been you know some issues with with ownership committing to, to big money players. This goes all the way back to Malcolm Brogdon and what that would have meant for the tax. I'm totally fine with the Bucks not re-signing PJ Tucker at that number. Yeah, I you know I know fans want him back because he played you know he guarded Durant. He's he just such a memorable player during the finals run, um, who was able to take like the really tough defensive assignments. Yeah, but I, I agree with you. Like he's 36. His offense is literally just corner threes. Um, and, you know, like they it's not like they got rid of him and they the spot is completely void. Like they got a player who is like comparable in terms of like semi Ojale is like they want him to be the PJ, like the PJ Tucker that they don't have to pay like 30 million dollars in luxury tax for. Right. Just like this big wing player who can play great defense. Now, usually isn't like the three point shooter Tucker is, but it's not like they lost Tucker and there's just nothing there anymore. It's like, they still have that type of player. If they absolutely need like someone to just be a defensive, like just take yep. the defensive assignment. Right. For much cheaper. I think usually, I don't know if this has been confirmed, but I believe it's a minimum deal. Um, and you know, obviously that that's not hurting you in the same way in the luxury tax. Like, I, I don't know. I I, I get it. I, I think especially after winning a title, you'd like to see ownership maybe splurge a little bit. But I, like you, you laid it out well. I mean, he's he's does nothing on offense except for shoot corner threes, and he's not. It's not like he's a knockdown corner three shooter. Like he, he'll take two or three a game. You know, sometimes he'll go 0 for three, sometimes he'll go two for three, whatever. Um, but he's 36, and it, you know, Miami also gave him a player option in the second year. That that's a big part of this, right? I mean, I don't think. It's maybe not even so much the the dollar figure for Milwaukee, but committing to that guy, you know, next season, like having the option for for him to come back and and eat, you know, seven and a half mil out of your cap next season. Like I, I don't know. I, I was totally fine with it. I was I was just really surprised when I read back and and saw that, you know, even given the circumstances, it, it felt like people were just being, 
you know, we weren't really thinking rationally and we're just thinking about, you know, the emotions of, of winning the title with PJ Tucker. I agree. And also Semi Ojale is a corner three point shooter. Yeah. Like I, I was uh, digging into it a little bit, like almost half of his three point attempts have been corner threes and he's like a 38% corner three point shooter. Yep. Which isn't amazing. Right. For corner threes. Like you want your corner three guy to be like 40, 45%. But like, I think, I think Bucks fans yeah. will, I understand why they're salty, but I think right. they'll come to like Ojale. Those, those run it back contracts never work out. Right. I mean, I, Think of like when the Cavs won the title, they like instantly paid JR, they paid Tristan Thompson. Um, like those, it, it just never, it never works out. The Lakers did that with a few contracts last year too. Like you, you can't, I, I actually, I, I go completely the opposite way. I, I applaud the Bucks for thinking with their head and not their heart, you know, after winning the title, like less than two weeks ago. Um, I, I think it would have been a rash move and like, yeah, it would have been, it would have been great to have PJ Tucker there on opening night when you get your rings and, and he gets a huge ovation I, for the next 81 games. I don't think it would have been that great. I'm with you. Um, okay, so we got Will Barton back with the Nuggets. Two years, 32 mil. Not a whole lot to say there. I mean, he's been there for, what, five or six years now. Um, so nothing's really changed. We didn't really talk a, a ton about uh, one of the Lakers' losses, and that was Alex Caruso going to Chicago. Four years, 37 million. This is in the P.J. Tucker category for me. I am that That is a totally fine number for the Lakers to not pay <laughs> for Alex Caruso, who I think has become wildly, wildly overrated. And I know that defensive metrics are good. He is a very good defender. He's a pesky defender. I, I think he is a big-time minus on offense. He misses a ton of layups. He's not a very good three-point shooter. He's constantly out of control. Uh, he plays hard, and and you know sometimes you can't put a price on that. But I, I think it, like the reason Alex Caruso became Alex Caruso is because he was this no-name guy who was making no money and making an impact. Like, I, I, guys like that, like when, when you start to pay them 37 million, like I, I don't want to bring this name up. You know who this reminds me of? A contract <laughs> that the Milwaukee Bucks handed out, Matthew Dellavedova. Yeah, I mean, I listen. I I like Caruso, but I'm not sure I like him at basically 10 million a year. Um, you're right. Like I think it's weird because I think he's become somewhat overrated because of the cult following he gained on the Lakers. But I also think some people think he's only a meme and like not actually a good player. Um, and he's somewhere a good player. He's, he's exactly somewhere in the middle. Uh, so maybe he's actually properly rated exactly if you take everything into consideration. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, he's a he's just like he's a fan favorite because he's a six five balding white guy who can windmill um, and he plays hard defense. So I think it's fine for Chicago if, as, you know, in terms of they want a really strong defensive guard um, or another defensive guard besides Lonzo. You know, and I think you can play Lonzo, Caruso, Levine, DeRozan on the court at the same time, and that gets interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms, in terms of the Lakers, no, you can't, you can't pay that contract. No, I, I think it, he's a replaceable player at the end of the day. Maybe not a replaceable personality, or you know, like in terms of what he brings, like marketing-wise. But I mean, the like the way that they found him in the first place, you can go, you can go find guys like that in the second round. You can find undrafted guys who are going to play hard defense. Um, and that, you know, obviously he, he kind of came about at the right time and got into the good graces of the right people. But I, I have always been on the, in the camp that he is way, way, way overrated. And, and I think too, this is, this is one where if you're the Lakers, I, they basically, it sounds like had to choose between Caruso and Taylor Horton Tucker. I think they, they absolutely made the right call. I, I think you could make a case that Caruso is maybe more valuable right now, but what is he going to be? You know, like Caruso has really nowhere to go in his career like the, the rest of the way. Like this is who he is. That's a fine player, 
but you're not you're not look you're not signing Alex Caruso and saying four years from now he's going to be way better. You know, it's like hopefully four years from now he's just as good as he is now. Whereas with Horton Tucker, I, I think there's a lot more upside. So I, I don't know. Like if you're a Bucks fan, would you have wanted the Bucks to sign Alex Caruso to a four-year, thirty-seven million dollar deal? If that was possible, would you have wanted that? Not really, no. Right. Especially well, the Bucks have DiVincenzo also, which is like oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can't um, double down. But yeah, but yeah, I mean Caruso's twenty-seven, Horton Tucker's twenty. So that that also factors into it as well. Um I, I've just seen Caruso miss like every single wide open, like, all right, they really need this one three pointer. I, I feel like he just <laughs> never made those. I, I don't know. I don't think basketball reference has a stat to track that, but he was like over a hundred in the games that I watched the last couple of years. Uh Reggie Bullock to Dallas, three years, thirty and a half mil. I I think that's a pretty nice deal. I mean, I don't think many people are gonna disagree. Maybe a, a slightly more money than you'd like to give a guy who was like out of the league a couple of years ago, basically. But I mean, he was launching a ton of threes and making a ton of threes, 41% last year for the Knicks. Um, and, and Dallas just kind of needs guys like that. So I, I felt like even if this is, if you want to call it a minor overpay, I feel like for Dallas, it was kind of the right move for them. Yeah, this is just a par for the course signing for like yeah. a, a a wing who shoots 40% and makes two and a half threes a game. Like it's right. just, that's the market. Yeah, you mentioned JaVale McGee. He's back in Phoenix now, one year, $5 million. Austin Rivers, back to Denver. Corey Joseph, back to the Pistons. I, I got the vibes from this one that it's like, he's like a assistant coach, basically, okay. on this team. Like, <laughs> Dwayne Casey really likes him, had him in Toronto. Um, TJ McConnell, four years, 35.2 mil for the Pacers. I, kind of their version of Caruso, very similar money yeah. as well. Do, do you have like a, a favorite between these two? Like if you had to pay $35 million to either McConnell or Caruso? Um, oh, that's tough, actually. Um, I think I like McConnell more. Me too. Because he could actually, if your starting point guard gets hurt, you can actually feel pretty good about McConnell stepping in and like at least facilitating the ball. Right. Like he can, he can make the offense work. Caruso could not step in and like fill that role. Um, and also TJ McConnell's a good defender. Gets a lot of steals. At he had least. 10 steals in the game this year, didn't he? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. He averages like over two, two steals per 36, I think. Yep. Uh, he's good. All right. Let's finish out with two, uh, like white big man signings that I was, okay. I was like partially okay with partially confused by, uh, we had Daniel Tice end up with the Rockets in a sign and trade four years, 36 mil. Um, I mean, the Rockets are just one of those teams that's kind of wandering in the abyss. Like they have some nice pieces. Um, but if you're Daniel Tice, it's like, why are you, why are you going here? Like this reminds <laughs> me of like Mason Plumlee going to Detroit. Like you're just kind of signing yourself up to be benched over the last couple months while the team wants to lose games. Uh, and then we had Ke- Kelly Olynyk end up in Detroit. He's the new Mason Plumlee. I, I, I did the write up for that one. I, I wrote that he probably starts at center for them. Obviously had a great run at the end of the year with Houston. And, and I feel like the, you know, the amount of money that, that Detroit is paying him three years, 37, it's not overwhelming, but it's still over 12 mil a year. I felt like that would probably lock it into the starting lineup. I, I'm awoken this morning by a message from our, our Detroit Pistons fan colleague, Shannon McEwen, who says, hey, do you mind if I if I make some changes? I, I don't think Kelly Olynyk is going to start. I think they're going to start Isaiah Stewart. Tough to say. I mean, maybe you start Jeremy Grant at the three, start Olynyk at the four, and uh, Stewart at the five. Well, uh, see, that's what I suggested. I said, like, do they go, could they go Cunningham, Sadiq Bay, Jeremy Grant, Olenek, Stewart, and kind of go, just go really big. You know, everybody's big. And he said, he said he thinks the more likely option is they trade Jeremy Grant. 
and it's important to note that Shannon McCune is not a, a Detroit Pistons insider, but <laughs> I, he would know more than me. And I, I thought that was that was an interesting, interesting point to bring up. I don't know, man. If I were them, I'd start Hayes, Cunningham, Grant, Olenek, Stewart. But that's just me. Um, I don't hate this deal. I actually don't hate both of these deals. Um, because at least for the Pistons, I would much rather, you know, like Plumlee didn't make sense to me because he's such like an old school kind of weird big who's like an assist guy. Um, Olenek is at least like a floor spacer. So you can see what Cade Cunningham and Killian Hayes are able to do when you have a floor spacing modern like five out there. And you can let you can basically allow Cade Cunningham to like ISO and make the offense super simple for him. So I actually really like this Olenek signing and they'll eventually be able to move him. And I feel the same way about Daniel Tice. Um, it's, I mean, four years is a lot. I think, you know, I would have, I think three years would have been a lot more appropriate for Tice, but this is just one of those deals that to me, again, feels like something where you're a bad team, but you can get this guy. It doesn't really like, you're not going to spend the money on anyone else. It's not like you're losing out on someone else by giving Daniel Tice 36 million. Mm -hmm. And if he plays really well for you, you can flip him for even two second round draft picks. You just never know. Um, so I'm okay with it. It's it's fine. Uh, I'll have to see. I, I think the Tice deal was fully guaranteed. But yeah, the, the four years thing is where I would have a little bit of pause. Uh, although I, I think they used the Oladipo trade exception to get him. So yeah, yeah, you kind of had the money laying around. You wanted to do something. Yeah, you know, you're not right. you're not a team that's going to attract you know a, a, an actual big time free agent. So I get it. Um, I, I mean, I'd be very surprised if Daniel Tice plays out the entirety of this four year contract as a member <laughs> yeah. of the Rockets, right? I agree. Yeah, that would yeah. be shocking. All right. Um, anything else we missed? I, I kind of skimmed over. You know, we didn't even touch on Nick Batum returning to the Clippers. We didn't even touch on Ben McLemore going to Portland. Dwayne Dedman, uh, the, the second best player in the series against the Bucks, uh, coming back to Miami. Um, but I, I think we covered most of it, right? I think the only thing we missed was um, uh, Gary Trent, $50 million for the Raptors. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I didn't have a lot of thoughts on that. I don't know. Seems about right. I think it actually seems like a pretty good deal, especially when you consider the Powell deal. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it was just one of the bigger deals we didn't touch on. But yep. again, this is just a this is a par for the course signing for a young guy who just drills a ton of threes. And when you consider like the Mavericks signed Reggie Bullock three years, basically 35, and the Raptors get Trent, who's like 22 years old or something for three years, yeah. 54 actually makes that deal seem pretty good. Yeah. Same same average annual value as the Norman Powell deal, ironically enough. And and I guess if anything, maybe you'd rather have Gary Trent for five years than Norman Powell for five years, you know, given the age difference. Um, but yeah, overall I, I think that's fine. I, I think he's developed into you know a, a really, really good kind of this guy who's just gonna probably shoot forty plus percent from three just about every year going forward and, and should have a lot of good looks in Toronto. Um I have I had one more I wanted to hit on and oh Rodney Hood. Rodney Hood. Oh, yeah. To the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I'm very low on Rodney Hood. I've never been a huge <laughs> fan of his, essentially, since he came to the Cavaliers that, that one year. I think it was 2018 and was, like, the worst player in the league. But I think on what's presumably a minimum deal for a guy who, before he tore his Achilles, was a, a kind of on this crazy hot streak from three, I, I don't hate it. I mean, it's it's kind of a heat check type of signing for the Bucks, but very low risk. And, you know, at best, you're getting a... You know, a veteran NBA guy who 
if he if, if Rodney if a healthy Rodney Hood is like your eighth or ninth guy, I think you feel pretty good about it. Uh, the problems come if he's like your fourth or fifth guy. And on this team, I, I don't really think they'll they'll ask much of him at all. I think like pretty much anything you get from him would be a bonus. Yeah, this is just a pure. Uh, let's see what we can like take a flyer um, signing. Um, I don't know why. Like I was looking at Hood's like four points a game, and I was just like really like I got. Um, it just made me think of Joe Johnson and how people there's always people on Twitter still being like Joe Johnson should get a contract and it's like who who would I'm pretty sure Rodney Hood is better than Joe Johnson right now but people would probably if you ask the average if you just put out a poll on Twitter and said who is better Rodney Hood or Joe Johnson I bet 75% of people would say Joe Johnson is better this is completely apropos I would vote for Joe Johnson <laughs> I believe he was just voted the oh yeah he's now the four-time defending player of the week in the big three so you're catching joe johnson at his absolute peak right now if you put that poll out there that is true um (laughs) i think i'd rather have joe johnson than rodney hood this is a great debate to end on who you got hood or johnson (laughs) you have to play one-on-one for the final roster spot in milwaukee um i I would watch that i would probably rather watch that than the the big three right like if there was just a (laughs) Kind of almost remember that. Were you ever watching that reality show? And this would have been like when we were probably in elementary school, maybe middle school, where they literally did a reality show called Night School, and it was like a a competition to see who got the final spot on the Texas Tech basketball team. No, it was nuts, no. and I don't I don't know how that was legal, you know, especially for being a college <laughs> program. But it was an awesome concept for a show, and we've never really seen anything like that repeated for some reason. Interesting. Yeah, I mean. They should have that for the NBA. That'd be amazing. I, yeah, I mean, knowing the NBA, which is always trying to get, you know, any kind of ratings or any kind of eyes on the league, like even for a G League spot, you know, like have, did like, doesn't MMA have a show like The Ultimate Fighter or something that you, yeah, yeah, you get, yeah. like the winner gets an MMA contract, something like that? Like, I, how is that not a thing? They'll do it with the Lakers and it'll be Mac McClung against Costas Antetokounmpo for the final roster spot. Reggie Evans, Joe, Joe Johnson. Yeah, somehow Rodney Hood is involved. Yeah, I, I would be all over that. All right, man. Uh, this was great. I, I think we hit on just about everything we needed to hit on. Make sure you check out the free agency tracker article. Alex and I have put a ton of time into this uh, over the last couple of days, and it'll continue to be updated with every single signing from Chris Paul and SGA and Jared Allen all the way down to uh, looking at the bottom here. We got Boban. Robin Lopez. Yeah, Robin Lopez to Orlando. Um, we, we are we're doing write-ups on literally every single deal. Trey Lyles to Detroit. Um, and, and that will continue. So make sure to check in on that. Uh, and I'll be back later this week to do some kind of NBA draft, post-draft recaps with James Anderson. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. 
Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.